welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 26th of February 2012, entitled On Target, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. I invite you to stand with me. To honor the reading of God's word beginning in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you again this evening for your word, for this time. Father, we pray that you would just meet with us. Lord, that through the power of your spirit that these words might be made alive, that, Lord, the very words that need to be spoken to each one will come forth this evening, not under the power and wisdom of men, under the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. There's a lot of things in this passage that is before us. And of course, it begins with instructions to the elders, the pastors, the spiritual leaders in their responsibilities of feeding the flock and whatnot. But I want us to think along the lines, there's a number of things that we could pick out of here, but most of you this evening, I'm sure, I was going to actually print one off, but I just got so busy this afternoon, and it wouldn't have been very pretty anyway because the color's not working on my printer right now, so it wouldn't have shown up. Everybody know what a bullseye is, a target that's got all your different, you start with the outside rings, and you get so many points for that, and you, you work your way in until you get to that very center, which is the bullseye right in the middle, and that's what you want to hit. You know, if you're throwing darts, you know, there's not a place on the dartboard that's worth more points than the bullseye, that little red spot right in the middle, uh, by the same t- token. Uh, I can remember that, uh, uh, that I used to go out and practice as a hunter, as a young man, uh, I used to like to do some hunting. And rather than, than guns, I liked the old-fashioned bows and arrows. Of course, the compound bows give you a little more of an advantage uh, than the old-fashioned bows did. Uh, but, you know, we go out and practice and practice and practice leading up to, to hunting season opening so that uh, when it did, that we would be ready to be able to hit the target. 
And, uh, and we find that that was what we would have these big round targets that we would shoot at. And the bullseye was that one right in the middle. And that's, that's, that's what you aimed for was that, uh, that smallest part of it right in the center. That was your target. That's what you were going for. Uh, and of course, sometimes as you were aiming for, uh, for the bullseye, sometimes you'd hit a little bit off target. Uh, that's what the Bible uses, that same type of an illustration uh, when it talks about all of us having sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. We've missed the perfection of His glory. We might look pretty good and we weigh ourselves up against some of the people in this world, but when looking at His, everybody has missed the mark if the mark is what we're looking at with Him. I remember, and I can't remember now, I think that I read it or heard it uh, probably some other preacher's illustration, uh, but I remember the story of uh, of a man that uh, uh, they went hunting one time, and he went into an area that he had never been before, and he he got there and he started seeing these these big targets painted on everything, these big targets with the uh, with the bullseye. And the thing that he noticed, I mean, these things were on trees, they were on the sides of houses, they were on barns, just everywhere he looked, he saw these these targets, all different sizes. But the unique thing was, right smack in the middle of every one of them was one bullet hole. Every one of them, somebody had hit dead center, didn't matter where they were on what. And, you know, he was a pretty good marksman himself. But he said, well, I've got to find out who this marksman is. I can learn a thing or two from him. I've got to, how could anybody hit the bullseye every time? And so he began to ask around. And finally, he found out who it was that was doing all this shooting. And he went to him and he talked to him and he asked him, you know, how in the world do you always, always hit the bullseye? The guy said, well, it's easy. I just shoot for the side of the house or the side of the barn, and when I get a hole, then I go paint the target around it. And I always, always hit the bullseye that way. Well, that's not usually the way they'll allow you to hit the bullseye. Uh, but, you know, the simple truth is, is that in our Christian lives, a lot of people are kind of acting like that marksman in that, in that story. Uh, they're just out there shooting all over the place. Then after they shoot, then they'll go and they'll decide what the target was and they'll put their target up and then they'll say, you know, bullseye or, you know, that's good enough or that's close enough because they're not really aiming at anything particular to start with. And so therefore, when it comes down to it, uh, they may never miss uh, in their own eyes. Uh, but if we've got a specific target that we're aiming for, then we're in problems. Uh, and of course, the problem with living our lives that way is that if we don't aim, if we don't have a target that we're aiming at with our Christian lives, then chances are we're going to miss God's best. You know, I firmly believe with all my heart that it is God's plan that if you are a child of God, one day, one day you will be perfected. One day you will be just like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's something that will be accomplished in your life. Sometimes the easy way, sometimes the hard way, but it will happen one day when we get those glorified bodies but too many of us, as we go through this life, I believe that we face a lot of suffering, a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties that we really wouldn't have to if we were taking better aim. If we were truly shooting for the bullseye of God's target that he asked for us. Well, this evening, there's a lot of things in the text that's before us, but I want you to note a target that I believe God gives us here in this passage that we should be aiming for. It shouldn't be a matter of chance. 
It shouldn't be something that we can just go about it any old way and then finally decide, you know, that we can put up the target and be there. But it should be what God has for us that's out before us, that's what we're aiming for. And I believe that he also shows us here how that we can aim for the bullseye. We can aim for the very best that he has for us. We won't be painting a target around the shot after we've already fired it, but we'll actually be aiming at something with our Christian lives. I can also remember, of course, it was part of the qualifications when, when I entered the military in basic training. One of the things, believe it or not, that you have to be able to do as a soldier, even when you're serving in the Air Force as I did, you have to be able to take a gun and somehow reasonably hit a target at a certain distance. And they had us out there and they had us all lined up on the shooting range and we had targets and it was such a short time ago, I forget how far they were in front of us that we were having to, uh, to aim at. But you've got all these different positions. You know, you've got to be able to shoot standing up and you've got to be able to shoot sitting down and you've got to be able to shoot from the prone position and all these different things. And you've got like 100 rounds to, to shoot, say, in, in this time. And you have to hit so many. There has to be. I don't remember what that number was. I think it was like 90 out of the 100 that had to be in that target in order for you to qualify. Well, I can remember out there and... I was a pretty good marksman. I mean, I had, uh, uh, I guess, you know, shot a gun a few times. It wasn't new, and we were out there, and we had these M16s, and we were firing away at the targets, and and it was one of these points when we had to change positions and reload and whatnot that, man, I was I was I was aiming and I was clicking off those shots, and I had I had fired. It was like five or six shots before I realized I was shooting at the guy's target next to me, not mine. <laughs> You know, and, and I thought, oh, no, you know, and I suddenly brought myself back and I started shooting at my own target again. Well, you know, afterwards, that kind of disappointed me because I was going for perfection. I wanted to get 100 out of 100, and I believed that I could do it, you know. Sure enough, we got up there, and they counted the shots in mine, and instead of being 100 out of 100, it was something like 96 out of, or 94 out of 100 that I'd gotten, and I knew those shots. I knew how many that I'd fired at that other target, but what I didn't know is then when they counted the shots in his, he had 90 out of 100. He just qualified. If I hadn't shot his target, he wouldn't have made it, you know. So, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad after all, and I didn't feel so bad about missing my target and having hit his target instead uh, because it uh, helped him to, uh, to get through. Not sure if I'd want him to guy cover my back if he wasn't able to, to hit that target when we were out there. But, uh, but, you know, the thing is, is we have to be able uh, from all kind of positions in life, and I guess that's why it came to me. You know, you know, sometimes we might be upright, and sometimes we may be lying flat down. The fact is, we need to be able to hit the target. We need to be able to hit the right target, not the guys beside of us, not somebody else's, but our own target, because that's what it qualifies for. It doesn't matter. If I'm trying to hit somebody else's target and be like somebody else and do what somebody else, what God is wanting of somebody else's life, that's not God's target for me. There's a target that I have to be able to hit. Now here in verse 10 of our reading, I want you to notice it says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Peter's talking here to a particular group of people. The God of all grace, who hath called us, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He's using that word us. He's part of this group that he's talking to here. And he says that the God of all grace has called these unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Now, 
there's only one group of people that's called to eternal glory. And they are called by the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, he's talking to the Christian here. He's talking to the saints. He's talking to those that have been born again. He's talking to those that have been born into the family of God. Each member of this group, they've realized themselves. They've realized how short that they are of the mark, how they have, have missed the mark of God and what's there, and that he has no ability to save himself. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You see, each member of this group, they realize that, well, they don't deserve this eternal glory. No way in the world. They realize that what they deserve is something far different. Romans 6, 23, but the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You see this group of people that Peter is talking about here, a people that are called into eternal glory. They realize what they don't reserve. They realize their shortness, but they also realize the righteousness of God. They realize that God is a righteous God, that he is a just God, and that he must punish sin, but that that loving God, because of his great love towards us, he gave us a way of forgiveness. Psalm 85.10 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You know, that's an amazing thought when we think about it. There on the cross, when Jesus Christ died for our sins, mercy and truth met together. The God-man, the only one, the one that's the way, the truth, and the life, when he gave his life, when he died, because of the truth of our guilt, <laughs> that was a fact that could not change. He met us there with God's mercy. God in his mercy allowed truth, the truth, the only real truth. He, desired, he allowed him to die in our place for our sins. Each member of this group here, people that are called to eternal glory. Think about that. Eternal, without end to it. Being glorified as our Lord, as the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one of us at a particular moment in time. You know, some people may not have the date recorded in the front of their Bible. Some people may not remember the date on the calendar. You know, I, I don't remember the date. I could, I could go back and work it out if I were really pressed to it and if it were important, but, boy, I remember the event. I remember the time. I remember the place. There's something wrong. If you can come to a place in your life that you can honestly see yourself in all of your sinfulness and literally go before a holy and a righteous God and seek that forgiveness knowing that you have no right to ask anything of him, but yet because of Jesus Christ and his great love, you can go and you can ask it and you can receive it because of what Jesus did for you. Folks, you don't do that by accident. Too many people are living religious lives that think they just kind of slipped into this thing along the way somewhere. Well, let's not try to make it what it's not. You can write all the dates you want to down in the front of your Bible. 
You can write down a date that you walked down some aisle before man and said, I want to be a Christian. None of those things matter. The simple truth is this people that he's talking about here, these that are going to eternal glory by the Lord Jesus Christ are a people that have met God on their knees humbly seeking that forgiveness that can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one he's talking to and that's who I'm talking to from this passage tonight. You see, if you're here and you don't know that with certainty, man, don't play around with eternity. We're talking about those that are called unto eternal glory. It's your eternity. Don't mess around with that. You know, don't try to fit into some man's schedule. But I'm saying to you this evening, you need to know, well, what are people going to think about me? What does it matter what people think about you? What really matters is what the relationship is, the relationship between you and your God. Nothing is more important than that. We're talking to a people here. You see, Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to have that eternal life. He wants you to have an eternal glory that can be yours. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to realize the passage of Scripture that we're looking at here, we've taken as our text. The simple truth is that he's speaking to those who have been called to eternal glory and have answered that call. You see, there's no way you're going to get track, on track with your life. You need to realize and understand that before we go. As far as I know, I look out there and I hope you're all saved. I hope you're on your way to glory. I hope there's not a, a question or a shadow of a doubt about that. But I want you to know something this evening. You're never, ever, ever, ever going to be part of this group here that can aim for the target that we're talking about in eternal glory except through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You see, part of the bullseye that, that we will hit is being in God's eternal glory. That's one of the ultimate goals for us. But another part of it is getting there in the right way. One day, one day, all those, all those that are truly born again will receive a glorified body. But we're talking about your life down here while you're getting there. We see the simple truth is, according to this passage, God has permitted suffering. Now, we don't like that too good usually when it comes along. You know, I don't, I've not found too many people that just get elated and happy and excited about the fact, oh, right, a bit more suffering, just what I wanted in life. But yet, we find that this passage teaches us that's part of God's plan. There is, in fact, a whole lot about this matter of suffering that we read about in First Peter here in the book that he's written. But here God gives us four things here in verse 10 that is a definite part of that plan. He has designed it in such a way that through suffering, through the hard times, through the difficult, through those challenging times in your life. You see, right here we're talking about one of those times in your life where you may not feel like you're on target. You may not feel like this could possibly be where your life is supposed to be going. It may be a time when, when you're genuinely suffering, and yet God has designed that through that suffering, 
There's at least four things will be accomplished in your life. What does he say there is the first one? But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that ye have suffered a while, make you, the first one, perfect. Perfect. He wants to perfect you. He wants to mature you. The word here, you know, it's, it's interesting as you read it out trying to, to get the picture. It means to, to, to make you perfect. It means to, to render, to complete, to mend, to repair, to complete something, to equip something, to, to adjust something so that it'll fit together ethically. It means to make one what they ought to be. <laughs> you see, the word was one that was used of men when they were mending their broken fishing nets that needed to be repaired in order to be able to, to do what they were designed to do. What is he talking about? As we react to suffering, if we react properly in God's way, realizing that God really is in control, you see, through that, God can equip us for greater service by repairing what's wrong, <laughs> by making us more like what we ought to be, spiritually mature. Through suffering, God will do this for you. I mean, through some of the toughest times, the Bible says he will perfect you. He will help you to be spiritually mature. He will also, he says here, establish you. We would probably put an E in front of that most time. Establish is exactly what it's talking about. The word establish means to make something stable to fix something firmly, to set something fast, to make it firm. Let's think of something that's, that's set in concrete. Now you can go out and you can dig a fence post and you can put it in the ground and you can put some dirt back in it and, 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 and pack it in there. But boy, if you really want that post to stand firm, pour your little concrete around it. Pour that concrete in that word, it'll set fast. That's the picture that he's giving to us here. Through your sufferings, through those difficult times, God wants to perfect you. He wants to make you spiritually mature. He wants to establish you. James says in James 5, 8, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts where the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I'm saying God. God is the one that's wanting to perfect you, that's wanting to establish you. He says here, and strengthen you. Strengthen you. Boy, that's hard to understand. It means to make strong. Uh, that's exactly what it means. It just means simply God wants to make you strong. As a Christian, we need to face trials many times. But as we face the trials in God's way, he'll build up the strength, the endurance. You know, that's the way a lot of times even as, even as an athlete, you begin by you might just take for a long walk. <laughs> and then that long walk might extend itself. And that long walk might turn into something a little bit faster and a little more hills. And the simple truth is you don't start out running a marathon. You build yourself up to it. And that's what he's talking. That's the picture that he's giving here. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to build you up to this point of spiritual maturity. He wants to make you stronger so that you'll be able to do the things that come your way. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 
And fourthly, being quick, because this is not my points. We've looked at these things before. He wants to perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and he wants to settle you. The word literally means to lay the foundations, to make something stable. In other words, he wants to settle you. He wants to make you stable. He wants to, to, to put down the firm foundation so that you're, you're stable when you're there in the place that you are, that we're settled in our ways and not easily going to be moved. You see, the Bible tells us that this is what the Lord's doing in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Just remember, God has a purpose for your sufferings. What is his goal in that? That he'll perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. That's what he says. After you've suffered a little while, these things are what he's going to do for you. As Christians, we ought to look forward to that eternal glory but we ought to be striving to hit the bullseye. We ought to be striving to be on target, allowing our, our sufferings and our trials to do these things, to, expect, to perfect us and establish us and strengthen us and settle us. You see, what I'm seeing here is in all of this is that we could sum it up by saying our goal, our target our bullseye in all of this is spiritual maturity. He wants to complete us. He wants to make us spiritually mature. He wants us to be everything that we ought to be. And that's what he's doing in our lives, and that's what he wants to, to do for each and every one of us. That should be what we're aiming for. The same thing that God is aiming for with our lives, I'm saying we all ought to be aiming. There's different things in life. We set goals for and we aim for in different ways. But something that all of us, all of us that have been called unto eternal glory, every born-again child of God, they should have as an aim, as a target in their life to be spiritually mature, not to be babes in Christ, not to be knocked about by every wind of doctrine that comes along, but to be stable, to be on a firm foundation, to be established in our faith. We find that that's what the Lord wants for us. So how are we going to be able to, to hit that? If, if that's our target as Christians, as born-again believers, to be spiritually mature in our lives, well, I believe that's what verses 5 through 9 give us at least three things here that will help us in doing that. Let me give those to you quickly. First of all, Submissive humility. Submissive humility. Doesn't that sound like fun? Verses 5 and 6. Notice what he says. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Who's the elder? He's just got through going through four verses there. The spiritual leadership. Sometimes we call them pastors. Sometimes we call them elders. Sometimes they're called bishops in God's word. He's saying, likewise, ye younger. And remember, God is not talking about just physical age. We're not talking about physical maturity here. We're talking about spiritual maturity. And often those terms are used in scriptures. So the younger here doesn't necessarily mean that you got to be young in age. 
but young spiritually. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. We've just got through seeing his responsibility to feed the flock, to feed them, all those things. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. One of the things that sometimes, and I, and I know you've probably never been guilty of this, but when we talk about Christians in general, one of the things many times that often makes Christians not be happy campers, not as happy as they could be, is because they're simply not getting their way. <laughs> Sometimes people don't like it when they don't get their own way. So many times we live in a day when our rights, I've got a right to this and I've got a right to that, and those rights come such a priority that we fight for our rights. And boy, if our rights are violated, some way, somehow, somebody takes something away from us that we have the right to. People get offended. People get hurt. People get angry. When it all comes right down to the fact, their rights, they've got a right to this. They've got a right to say this. They've got a right to go there. They've got a right to do this. It comes right down to them not having their own way. You know what? When people are offended, when they're hurt, when they're angry, I'll guarantee you, they're not going to hit the target. They're not going to hit the bullseye. They're not even going to hit the target of spiritual maturity because these emotions will take you off track. They'll take you off target. You see, if you want to be on target, you got to learn. Sometimes you got to be willing to relinquish some of those rights that you have a right to. Sometimes you've got to just, what's he say here? Submitting yourself to others. Ye all of you be subject one to another. So sometimes you're going to have to submit yourself to others, of course, and to Christ. Peter begins here by telling the younger men to submit to the elder. We know that in this spiritual sense that we find this all through the Scriptures, that there are those that have the spiritual responsibility over others and others that have the responsibility to learn and to submit themselves to those. In a more general sense, younger people should submit to the discernment, the wisdom of those that are older in age. There's a certain respect that should go with it. And certainly spiritually, the same truth is there. But Peter doesn't just stop there. He tells us that all of us, younger and older, should be subject or submit to each other. We should be willing to humble ourselves and relinquish our rights for the sake of someone else. Many of you know I've used the passage I've shared with you before, how that God used Romans 14, 21, boy, to shake my tree real good. 
For it is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. You see, as, as a young Christian, I had this, I had this thing in my mind that I, you know, nobody could tell me what to do about this or about that. I've got a right to do this. It's my liberty to do this in my, in my Christian liberty. But I come to realize that, you know, the simple fact is it is good neither to eat flesh. That's just talking about eating meat, eating the food, eat flesh, nor drink wine nor anything whereby my brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. In other words, even if, even if I can handle it, if I got no problem with it whatsoever, what about those that do? What about the weaker brother? What about somebody else that struggles with that? And I'll tell you this, folks. You know, that's what God used to shake my tree real good. And I can sit here and tell you the things, you know, that that did in my life and the things that went, but the simple truth is, is, what does God speak to you? That's part of what he's talking about here. Considering the other people instead of yourself. You see, we could look at so many passages in Scripture. Jesus, the great example, of course, the night of his betrayal in Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What if Jesus had just decided, you know, it don't matter what God the Father wants. I just want to do my own thing, and I don't really want to go through this. Well, that's kind of hard for us to comprehend. We know his great love, that he had to do what he did, and yet he didn't have to do it because he was made to do it. He had to do it because of who he was, because his love is a perfect love. But I'm just saying he had to get beyond his flesh because he didn't, he didn't not feel what he was suffering in his body. He couldn't look forward to that but he got past that because there was a greater cause. There was something greater than himself. He says here we're to submit ourselves, but we're also to clothe ourselves with humility. Submission and humility, they, they go hand in hand with each other. The word clothe here was one that was used when the slave took and put on their apron before that they went to serve somebody. You're covering yourself. One of the great illustrations that comes to mind, we looked at it, how many Sundays ago now? One, two, three Sundays ago before the conference started, the last sermon we looked in John chapter 13 and then Brother Beaver looked at it again during the conference in John chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is telling his disciples there, if I have been willing to humble myself to serve you, to wash your dirty feet, you ought to be willing to humble yourself to serve others. He was setting the example. He was showing us what our lives needed to be like. He really, here in verse 5, Peter goes back to Proverbs 3, verse 34, and he quotes that when he says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Peter said, this is not something I'm making up. And even though this was the Holy Spirit through inspiration that was giving him this, he himself goes back and quotes Proverbs 3, 34. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does it mean to be proud? Well, fact is when we begin to think that we're better than somebody else. Has that thought ever tried to creep into your mind that, that 
somebody just wasn't quite as deserving. Maybe it was because of the way they looked or the way they dressed or the job they had or the things they did. They just weren't as important on the totem pole as you are. Um, when our thoughts begin to center around ourselves, you know, we like to think good of me. And what a really nice, kind person that I am and how that I really try to help people. And, you know, we, we just we get, begin to focus upon me, me, me. When we, as we've talked about here, insist upon having our own way because I've got liberty in this right. This is not wrong for me. This is not sin for me. I'm okay with God in doing this. And that's all that matters to us rather than what it might be doing to somebody else around us. When we fail to humble ourselves into whatever capacity is needed in order to serve that other human being, then we allow pride to slip in. And you know what we're doing right there? We're making it so that God will have to resist us. We're getting way off target when we allow those things to come in our lives. So instead of making, making it so that God would resist us, we ought to be making it so that he will exalt us in his own due time. In verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Don't worry about exalting yourself. Don't worry about how you make other people feel about you, what you can do in the eyes of others. Let God do the exalting. You be willing to take the lowest place and let God lift you to that place of exaltation. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows about it. It doesn't matter if they know what you did. It doesn't matter if they know how good you are. It doesn't matter if they know what you gave away. Let God do the exalting. Instead of trying to do it ourselves, the captain of the ship looked in the dark one night and he saw some faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signal and said, send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a message came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angry. His command was being ignored. He sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a seaman third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message back, knowing the fear that this message would evoke. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And the reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> so many times because of who we are, because of the position that we hold, because of any reason that you want to put out there, we can be determined we're going to have it our way because we're in the right. We've got the right for it. Simple truth is that's not what God's trying to teach us here. I don't know who wrote this. It was in my collection of things, and it's one of those that just says, Source Unknown. It says, In the midst of our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices are shouting orders into the night telling us what to do, how to adjust our lives. Have you ever been there? <laughs> when things, man, things are just kind of foggy, and you don't know, and it just seems like all these different voices. Out of the darkness, one voice signals something quite opposite to the rest. Something almost absurd. 
But the voice happens to be the light of the world, and we ignore it at our peril. You see, advice is something that we should consider greatly. But the greatest advice at all is what God gives us. Even it might seem absurd sometimes. We've talked about some of those things. You know, you know, read some of the things that God has done and the way that he did them. What sense does it make in the natural sense? None whatsoever. But he's God. And if we listen to him, see, in order to be on target, in order to have a chance at hitting that, that bullseye of spiritual maturity, I'm saying it's not going to happen, folks, without submissive humility. If we're honest, your pastor will raise his hand first of all. Pride is something we all have to deal with. Pride is something that we all must keep in check. And I'm saying, you know, God has this target for us. He wants us to be spiritually mature. And he's showing us right here that if we want that in our lives, we're going to have to submit ourselves to be humble. Secondly, it requires secure confidence. A simple truth is this. You know, if you don't really have confidence in something, then you're not, you're not going to be too sold on the idea of really paying much of a price for anything or doing anything with it. You've got to have some confidence. Well, when we're going through these struggles, we've been talking here about the downtimes, suffering times and what God is doing through that when we are going with our life simple truth is he says here in verse 7 and I'm not going to dwell on here because we've looked at this verse different times in the past casting all your care upon him for he careth for you that's one of those verses have you ever had to say to your kids do as I say not as I do have you ever heard it and talked about, baby, you know, that, you know, sometimes some things are a whole lot easier to preach than they are to do? <laughs> this is one of those verses. It's a whole lot easier to preach it to others than it is to practice it in your own life. Casting, what's that next word in your Bible? A-L-L. Casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. When trials come, simple truth is, is the Lord tells me by faith, trusting him, I've got to give it to him. Philippians 4, 6, 7 says, be careful for nothing. And that word careful there is talking about anxiety and being anxious. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? We've talked about that casting before. There's two things that are really important about that word, and, and we'll move on. One of them, I mean, it literally means to make a deposit somewhere. In other words, it's not something that, uh, you know, if, if, if you've got, you know, a couple of thousand pounds that you don't really want to just leave laying around, you know, on the dash of the car or something, you know, when you're out shopping. I mean, you know, the natural thing is you go deposit it somewhere secure. 
It's not just something you throw around laying. Well, first of all, this, this word has the idea of depositing something. It's not just leaving it, laying it around. And of course, you've, you've, you've heard me express this casting before when literally it has an immediacy with it. It's like when, you know, I've used a jacket before and, you know, it literally, it literally carries with it the idea of casting your burdens upon me. Get rid of them. Deposit them with God. Don't just leave them laying around. Don't lay them down somewhere temporarily, but get rid of them and give them to God, all of them, and deposit them there to where you can leave them with him. So many times we get down and we pray, oh, God, take this. We get right back up, and five minutes later, we're worrying about the same thing again. That's not depositing them with God. We might have took them there, but we didn't leave them with him. We didn't fill out the deposit slip and leave them behind so that they would stay with him. We brought them back with us. All my problems, past, present, future, casting all. He's not talking about just one burden. He says, casting all your burdens, deposit all. I don't care what it is that you're worrying about, that you're anxious about. Get rid of it. Give it to God, deposit it with him and leave it with him. That's what he's saying to us here. Lord, here are all my problems. (laughs) It doesn't matter what it is. Here's all of them. I trust you you explicitly. Matthew chapter 6, I love this passage, verses 26 to 30. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Kind of reminded me, Dave, as I was reading that this afternoon there at my desk of some of the awesome pictures that he showed me this morning of his deep sea diving down off the coast of Hawaii and just just the things down there that, you know, how could man imagine the beauty of, of, of the fish and those things and those corals and all those? How could anybody even comprehend to begin to think that this was all by accident, that it all just kind of happened one day out of some stupid explosion. You know, the simple truth is, look around us. God cares for all of it, and he keeps it all in his balance. What thinks, why don't you think he would care for you? I'm saying our lives need to be on target. As true Christians, those that are heading for that eternal glory, God's promised us some things, but there's some things that we need to be doing for ourselves We need submissive humility. We need secure confidence. And we need, thirdly, and I'll give you this in closing, we need steadfast resistance. Verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. 
You see, sometimes in our Christian lives, God actually calls on us for some action. We can't do anything to save ourselves. But you've got to receive that free gift that's there. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Folks, Christianity, believe it or not, I know we look around, we can get the wrong, it is an active religion. It is an active faith. It's not a passive one. God has left plenty for you to do. Yes, he's in control, and yes, his will's being accomplished. But one thing is for sure. He lets us know that we're in a constant war with his great enemy, Satan. If you are God's child, if you're one of these that we're talking about here that has been called unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, believe me, God's enemies are your enemies. We're told to be sober, to think clearly, to be vigilant, to be watchful, to be constantly on alert. Satan, he's a slanderer, he's a deceiver, he's a liar. He wants to devour you. He wants to literally make you cease to be. You see, he's already lost one battle over you, and he's not real happy about that. Because if you're one of these I'm talking to this evening, he's already lost the battle for your soul. When you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll guarantee you he didn't want you there. He did not want that to happen in your life, and he'll do anything that he can. He'll play with your mind. He'll play with your emotions. He'll play with your feelings. He doesn't care what he has to do to keep you away from that point. But this evening, if you have, he, you're not on his best friend list. He doesn't really want to make life, you know, better roses for you. Matter of fact, the thing that he wants more than anything is to make sure that your life is not effective, that somebody else might be won in this battle. He don't want anybody else to possibly become a Christian because of your life, because of your faith, because of your witness. No way. The Bible makes it clear in so many ways. We're told here to resist him. When we resist Satan... He says here, we're to resist him steadfast in the faith. You see, there's only one that's stronger than Satan, and that's God himself. We resist by trusting in God, by trusting in his victory. I know today some will disagree with him, but I can't find a verse anywhere in my Bible that tells me to rebuke Satan. Can't find it. I'm willing if you want to show me. I can't find it. I can't even find anywhere in my Bible where I'm told to have a conversation with him. You know, I just, I just don't find it. I just, it's, it's just not there. I'm told to resist him. They have nothing to do with him, to resist him by faith. Sometimes that means running from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The devil will make sure there are plenty of temptations, but I'm promising you, you can resist those temptations by faith in God. God will give you a way of escape. Sometimes we need to look for it. Sometimes the flesh doesn't want to look for it. Flesh doesn't want a way of escape. He'd rather sit back afterwards and say, oh, the devil made me do it. No, we made the choice ourselves. 
What did Jesus, when he faced the temptation there in the wilderness, three times the devil come to him. Do you remember three words that he, that he began, every, every statement that he went back to Satan with? It is written. <laughs> it is written. That was Jesus. He's the living word. And yet what does he go back to come against the devil with? It is written. The word of God, folks. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is our sword. This is what we take the enemy on with. I'm saying that he's telling us here. We need to steadfastly resist him. We resist Satan by making sure. As we just read during our conference that we just finished, putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And having done all to stand, we need that whole armor. We need to make sure that we're ready for battle. He said, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Remember, resisting the devil is something that is done by faith. <laughs> you see, when you really begin to look at it, first, we got to get out of the flesh, folks, and quit worrying about what's right for me and what's good for me and what my rights are we need to submit ourselves, submit ourselves, yes, to the spiritual leadership, submitting ourselves to one another, submitting ourselves to God, worrying about him and others before ourselves. And then in doing that, only then can we have that absolute secure confidence in him. I mean, we trust him completely. We know. Whatever it is, casting all your care upon him. Got the flesh out of the way. Got myself submitted, not thinking of myself more than I am. Trusting him with whatever the burden and trouble is in my life and resisting the old enemy. Steadfastly resisting him because I trust my Lord. And folks, we don't want to leave our life to chance. We don't want to just get out there and take our lives down his path and then one day draw a target around it and say, okay, that's all right. That's where I was going anyway. Do we want to be spiritually mature or do we want to go through life as spiritual babies? You can't become spiritually mature again by chance, by coincidence, by luck. It takes some effort. The Lord wants it for us, and he's promised. He's promised that, yep, there might be some suffering involved, but he's promised that he'll perfect you, that he'll establish you, that he'll strengthen you, that he'll settle you. But do you want to go for the same target, that spiritual maturity that he wants for you? Submissive humility, secure confidence, and steadfast resistance. That's some of the things it's going to take from us and it'll change our lives. 
It'll change. Our lives are headed somewhere, somewhere that he can use us, that he can make us what he wants us to be, what we should be as Christians, not what we've become because of all that the world has done and taken away. We've got to live in a real world, but we serve a mighty God. That was what he said to us there, submitting ourselves under, under what? Under the mighty hand of God. That's who our confidence is in this evening. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, our lives need to be on target. In these days that we live, we need some spiritual maturity. Lord, as we look around us, we find that the enemy is, he's at work and he's doing his job. But may we just say this evening, Lord, as we look to you and we recognize all that you've got for us, Lord, that we recognize in your word, Lord, that you've got a path for our lives to take. You've got a target for us. We know that eventually that's eternal glory. But in this life, you want us on the way to that. You want spiritual maturity for us. You've promised to help bring that to us. But, Lord, there's some things that we need to practice, that we need to get out of the way, that we need to do in order to allow that work to take place in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to be a people that are on target. Help us to aim for the best, for the bullseye. Help us, Lord, to be able to give ourselves to you in such a way that you can do whatever you want with our lives. It'll be exactly what you wanted for us, what you planned for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.